everyone. Uh, let's open up the Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. We're going to finish out the book here this morning. We're thankful that you joined us. Uh, for those of y'all that don't know, I am. My name's Dean, pastor here at Family Church. We're grateful that you joined us today. Like Abby Oye said, we are a church that love God, loves God passionately and loves people personally. Hopefully you see that this morning in everything that we do. Uh, Michael de Montaigne once said, all days travel towards death, the last one reaches it. All days travel towards death, the last one reaches it. Life goes very quick. How do I know life goes very quick? All of us have these stories, but one of mine is Colden on the way. Colden's like, oh, wait, now I gotta listen. Colden on the way to church this morning said, Dad, what was your favorite online game when you were little? Y'all know we feel old, you know? They're like, you lived before the internet, you know? I started thinking, I'm like, well, in college, I played a lot of Minesweeper rather than listen to my teacher. I'm like, wait, that wasn't even an online game. That was preloaded on the computer. So life goes at you quick. And maybe you're here, maybe you're young, and maybe you don't think about, uh, I've, I've heard it said, and I usually tell people in marriage counseling this, that the last day of your marriage is as important, if not more important than the first day of your marriage. And uh, famous last words, we've all heard those things, right? We ask the question, what type of legacy am I gonna leave? Where is all of this gonna end? And so we come out of a season, it's the most wonderful time of the year now, right? And uh, who's listening to Christmas music already? Anybody? Okay. Who thinks it's a sin to listen to Christmas music already? Okay, we got a few. And this will really tell where you're at theologically. Uh, who believes Die Hard is a Christmas movie? Okay, and, uh, and who believes that it's not a Christmas movie? Okay. Um, I, 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 mean, I mean, heroism, you know? You know, it's, uh, you would think. Yeah, Santa, if y'all don't know this, St. Nicholas uh, punched a heretic. Uh, and so uh, I think Bruce Willis kind of embodies that. I'm joking with y'all, but... He, Y'all, it's an awesome time of the year. Uh, last week we had Halloween and there was a lot of ideas of what um, death and burials and all this stuff means. Um, but here's the good news about Jesus is uh, we're not, even we're gonna talk about mummification today because uh, both Joseph and Jacob, when they died, they were both, there are only two people in the Bible who were uh, prepared in the Egyptian way for death. Um, here's the thing. When God resurrects us, he doesn't resurrect us to silly Halloween toys and, and ideas and all this. He resurrects us to new life. I, I was driving to church this morning. Somebody must have taken down their Halloween decoration because they're, I was like, is that a dead person in the back of the truck? You never know in Kenneborough. You know what I mean? And so like, it was, no, it was, a, it was like a Halloween corpse. I'm like, well, thank God I'm not going to look like that. And hopefully I look better. You know what I mean? Hopefully that new body is even better, right? Say amen. Some of y'all, right? So here's the deal. So today we're going to talk about burials. And, and maybe that's not the, the best. Ah, yeah, welcome to Sunday. We're going to talk about death and burials. But this is where we end the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis literally begins in death and ends in death. But the perspective has changed. Because the book of Genesis, God created everything good. And in chapter 3... It all got messed up by us. 
And then here we see in chapter 50, as we get to the very end, whereas Genesis began with death without hope, we end here with death while looking forward. And so what we see is the, the seeds of the Messiah who is to come. And so today, hopefully, as we read these verses, we'll be reminded that burials and death are an opportunity. That's our big idea this morning. Burials and death are an opportunity. You can use, hey, all you have to do is live long enough and you will experience some sort of pain. I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, the truth of the matter is this. All you have to do is live long enough and you will suffer. We don't give the subject of evil, death, or suffering the thought it deserves until we're confronted with it, until we're slammed right in the face with it in life. Has anybody in here lost a loved one, maybe like unexpectedly? I found my dad passed away uh, several years back, and it was very, very unexpected. And we don't, we don't prepare for these moments. We think we live like we're going to live forever. When, you know, <laughs> there's something to seizing each and every day that God has given us as a gift. It's a gift that we're breathing today. It's a gift that you're able to be here for our, for our, for our, our dessert auction, right? <laughs> After church, and you can bid to help the, the kids to go to summer camp, but while also uh, not helping your, uh, your waistline, you know? Like, it's a gift that you're here today. And what we see here is, is this gift of life ultimately comes to an end here on earth, but that is just the beginning. So let's read, and we're going to talk about burials being an opportunity. Let's read verses 49 through the beginning of chapter 50 together. So chapter 49, verse, actually not 49, 49 verse 29, and then I'll stop uh, at verse 14 of chapter 50. It says, then he commanded them, this is talking about Jacob, then he commanded them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to, to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron, the Hittite, and in the cave in the field of Mechbelah to the east of Mamre. You see why I'm reading this morning, right? You know, you, uh, I almost threw it on Chris last minute. You know, you kind of just, when you go read these hard words in the Bible, you just read them with confidence because none of us know how to say them. You just keep going, right? So the cave at Mechbelah, it's east of Mamre in the land of Canaan which Abraham bought with, brought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. So the emphasis here is that this place is bought with uh, righteous means. There was buried there Abraham and Sarah, his wife, and they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife there as well. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. And when Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet. This is almost kind of a peaceful death that's happening here. Breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. Then the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that was how many were required for the embalming. And the Egyptians wept with him. For 70 days, 40 days is the procedure. 30 days was a, was a, typical, uh, was a typical sign of mourning in, 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 in Judean culture. 70 days was pretty common even in Egyptian culture. So we see David, not David, Jacob is being given a high honor here as they're remembering him. Um, 
Verse 4, it says, And when the days of weeping were past, Joseph spoke to the house of Pharaoh. Perhaps he sent word to Pharaoh because he was ritually unclean, being around his dead father, saying, I have now found favor in your eyes. Please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear I'm about to die in my tomb, that I hewed out in the land of Canaan. Wait, hold on. Where did I Oh, <laughs> there you shall bury me. Perhaps Pharaoh had an appreciation for this. As you all know, the Pharaohs uh, made elaborate plans for death. So they maybe had a, had a, a personal uh, liking to the fact that they had already planned where they were going to be buried. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father and with him, he went up to the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of the household and all went up, all went up to the land of Egypt, as well as the household of Joseph, his brothers and his father's household, only their children and their flocks and their herds were left in Goshen, kind of as a deposit that they would be coming back. And there went up both the chariots and the horsemen, and it was a great company. And when they came to the threshing floor at Atad, threshing floors were very high so that you could, you could, uh, uh, you could basically uh, get the thre uh, the what do you call that? Threshing floor, the, the chaff, right? Yeah, the chaff. Y'all supposed to help me, right? As they're beating it so the wind could take it and it could go away. And uh, they came to the threshing floor at Tad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they lamented with a great and grievous lamentation. And he made mourning for his father for seven days. Still to this day, the, the Judean, uh, the Judean uh, culture of mourning is seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning of, of the Egyptians uh, on the threshing floor at Tad, they said, this is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. There the place was named Abel Mizrim, which, which, is also, which means mourning of the Egyptians, is beyond uh, the Jordan. The sons did for him as he commanded them, for his sons carried him out of the land of Canaan and buried him in the, in the cave at the field of Mechpelah in the east of Mamre with Abraham, who bought the field from Ephron the Hittite. They're repeating this over and over because the location is important to possess as a burying place. Verse 14. After he buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers, all who had gone out with him to bury their father. Burials are an opportunity. And what we see here is burials are an opportunity for honor. We honor those who have come before us and those who have gone. Uh, Jacob is, is sure that he is about to die. and He kind of gives his last will and testament to his boys because it says that they were there, them were there. Um, and Joseph is hearing this, and so he's hearing his father's last wishes, and he honors his father's last wishes. His father says, go and bury me so that I can be with my ancestors. His father had an idea that this life wasn't all there is. There was a life to come. Some people will say heaven and hell are something that we made up in the last 2,000 years. I will say this, there is nothing new under the sun. The book of Daniel says that there shall be some that many of those who will, will lie asleep in the dirt, some shall wake up to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. What we see is that David believed when his own son died in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. Furthermore, we see that Jacob is buried in this cave at Mechpelah, and he's buried next to Leah. And if you don't know anything about uh, Jacob's story, 
Jacob uh, didn't like Leah. Uh, he liked Rachel a whole lot more. Uh, but he, uh, Rachel is not buried in the cave at Mechpelah, but he does end up being buried next to Leah. So even in death, there's a sign of restoration in his family. It's kind of like my dad, my dad and his brother, Tommy. My dad, Paul, and his brother, Tommy. They did not like each other at all in life. My mom's shaking her head. She's like, yes, yes, I went through that. So in death, uh, I didn't, I actually met my Uncle Tommy only a couple of times, but this thing called the internet was created in the last, you know, couple of decades. And I went on it and I eventually found him. And when I saw him, he's like, how'd you find me? You know, back in the day, you found people through phone books, right? And word of mouth, like, but but there's this crazy thing where you can track down, just Google your name. Your address will pop up. It's a very scary thing, you know, but I found my uncle Tommy. He was here in a, a nursing home. I went up to the nursing home where he was and they ended up saying he was at the hospital. So I found him and we went to the, uh, what's this? Saint, no, not St. Jude. That tells you, right, I'm old. So um, uh, what's it called? Oshner. Oshner. So I went up to Oshner. And uh, Tommy was there, and he had just had open-heart surgery. And so I tell him that my dad had passed away, and it kind of created a relationship. I didn't see him for another few years after that until I got a call. I guess he was kind of on his deathbed as well. And the doctor said, do you have any living relatives? And, his, you know, he remembered I'd given him my cell phone number. He had picked up that number, you know, when I called him. But he had it, and so they called me, and Laura and I went up to the hospital and met with him, and then we ended up meeting with him at, he was in Chateau Assisted Living for a little while. I shared the gospel with, with my Uncle Tommy. It's between him and God, whether it, was, whether it was real or not, but he prayed with me to receive Jesus. Now, my dad's remains and my Uncle Tommy's remains are interned right next to each other at Jefferson Memorial Gardens in St. Rose. So two brothers who hated each other in life, are there now, symbolically, in death. And I can't help but imagine if my Uncle Tommy is between him and God, but if, I, I can only take him at his word, if the prayer that he prayed was genuine, can you imagine someone you hated your entire life being reunited for all of eternity? Burials are an opportunity for honor. We honor the stories. See, my father, I've shared with y'all about my father as he was abusive and all these things, but all I can think about my father is not the, I, I acknowledge the evil things that happened, but what I remember is the man he was when he came to meet Jesus. I remember that's not the beginning of a thing that matters, it's the end of a thing that matters, like the book of Ecclesiastes tells us. See, my dad spent the rest of his life living for the Lord, living out the repentance that God had shown him and given him. Our days matter. It doesn't matter where you are now. What it matters is where you will end. And when people pass away, we have an opportunity to mourn in a way where we look at all of their failures and live with regret or we look back at a life well lived and hopefully a life that honored God and, and, and build on that in, in the way that we move forward. That's what happened here is Jacob died. Like all hope was not lost. It doesn't mean that it wasn't emotional. 
It is not a sin to mourn. Uh, mourning hurts. You know, Joseph wept over his father. In fact, the description shows that Joseph showed more emotion at the death of his father than at the arrival of his father. He didn't focus on the 17 years he had lost from his father. He focuses on the 17 years that he had with his father. And it shows you the great honor that Joseph and Jacob had in Egypt because of this great procession that follows them back to the, to the promised land. Joseph works hard to honor his father's last wishes that he would be buried in the promised land because Jacob, who spent the majority of his life outside of the promised land, always could look back to the cave at Mikvilah as a sign of God's everlasting covenant with him that the land of Canaan and his forefathers, that the land of Canaan would be an everlasting possession of, of, for them. That's what we do even nowadays when we bury people. We know that they're not there. We know that they're not there. They're long gone. But the places that we bury people are a reminder that this life is finished. And this life is short. But one day, one day at that great trumpet sound, right? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Even when Jesus died, people were raised out of the grave. Because when Jesus shows up, life can only happen. And we know that we are raised to everlasting hope or everlasting contempt, everlasting judgment. John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but would have everlasting life. Let's read verses 15 through 21 together. We're going to unpack our second idea. So barriers are an opportunity for honor. And then now we're going to see burials are an opportunity for assurance. When you go to a funeral for your loved ones, when you're burying a friend or someone that you knew, you will either leave, leave that place with assurance of where they are and what God did in their life, or you will leave it with fear, doubt, and regret. Our job is to live our lives in a way in which we're assured that God has done his work, his finished work on the cross accomplished what our relationship required with him. That's why God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. We're going to get to this at the very end. These men and women that died, they didn't know Jesus, but they had faith. They had faith. Author of Hebrews comes to the very end of the book of Hebrews. He talks about how this faith works, and we'll read that here at the very end. So burials are an opportunity for assurance. Abigail and myself have done funerals before. Anybody else officiated a funeral in here before? Anybody? So it's, it's much easier to do one when you know that that, is a, that person was a believer, right? It's hard to officiate a funeral when you don't know. And you just kind of leave it up to God's sovereignty. When we come to death, sometimes many of us believe that everybody, hate to break it to you, you won't probably get angel wings. I just, that, did I kill your hopes this morning? Like, you're not going to turn into an angel when you die. You will either be a saint or you will be a sinner. And what matters is the way that God sees you right now. Does he see you as apart from him? 
or does he see you as his? And that's reflected in the life of Joseph at the way he treats and assures his brothers. Let's look at those verses 15 through 21. It says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. Didn't he already forgive them? Didn't he already assure to, you know, Genesis 45 verse 5, he told them, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God, but God meant this, right? He sent me here before you to preserve life. But here, they, they believe that Joseph was just treating them right because of their father. Now their father is out of the picture. And so Joseph's brother saw their father was dead. Now they're insecure. They had some security. Now they're insecure. Now Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to them, verse 16. But they sent this message to Joseph. They're, they're too scared to even confront Joseph. So they send this message his way. And who knows whether they're making this up or whether it's something that they, we don't know. But they, they tell this story and says, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgressions of your brothers and their sins because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Notice they didn't say, uh, forgive us as your brothers. No, they said, forgive us as your servants of the God of your father, not our father. So they're appealing to, to Joseph's covenant faithfulness towards the God of his father and the love of his father. Joseph wept because weeping is a natural emotion, men, right? Joseph wept when they spoke with him. Maybe he wept, in fact, because he realized that the work of forgiveness was not yet completed and done. Do have y'all ever been in a situation where you felt like you healed and moved on from something and you realized, no, the hurt's still there? Um, I mean, hey, that happens in marriage. Laura and I have had things like dec a decade, you know, ago that we're, we it always happens in an argument, right? You know, that kind of comes out and you're like, wait, I thought we handled that, you know? But um, I would say women don't forget anything, but it's, it's reversed in our marriage. I don't forget anything. And so here's the deal. The work of repentance is exactly that. It requires work. But the difference is Jesus doesn't require work for the confessions of your sins. At that moment, it's done for all time. But in our working out our own salvation with fear and trembling, as we forgive and assure one another, we work towards that. Repentance requires an equal or, 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 or a turning of action, a different way of going. And so they said, verse 18, his brothers came and fell down before him as they spoke to him. This was a fulfillment. It's already been fulfilled when they first met him but a fulfillment of Joseph's dreams, right? Where they got mad at him when he dreamt that he'll be in Egypt, right? And he dreamt that, that he was a stalk and their stalks bowed down to his stalk and then the sun, moon, stars bowed to him. Well, hey, it's happening here. Even in their actions, they're attesting to God's faithfulness and the hidden hand of God throughout this entire story. But Joseph said to them, just like God tells us, do not fear. God would say, I am God. But Joseph says, for am I in the place of God? This verse 20, you've heard me say this already during the series. 
It's the crescendo of the entire book of Genesis. As for you, which he meant evil against me, God meant for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive, even as they are today. So don't fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This word for kindness, literally, it comes across as like part of his demeanor. He treat, it wasn't just words that he spoke over them kindly. He treated them with the same words of kindness and the way that he, that the way that he spoke to them, the way that he cared for them, word and deed both happened in this place. But he assured them. He assured them of God's work. Burials can be an opportunity for the enemy to give doubt, or it can be an opportunity for the Spirit to assure, assure us of God's work. And what, 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 the, what the Lord is doing in this passage is he's using Joseph as his mouthpiece to assure to these brothers that everything that has happened in the story, while God didn't cause all the evil things to happen, God worked out those evil things for good. That's why we rejoice in Paul's letter to the Romans. In Romans 8.28, God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to, purpose, to his purpose. So we, as his followers, we can respond with fear of what is to come, or we can, re we can respond with the fear of the Lord. When we're approached with death, when we're approached with loss, when we're approached with burying a loved one, we will either fear the life that, may, that for us is ticking even closer and closer to coming to an end here on earth, or we can fear the Lord who has told us that this is not the end, right? Some of you will awaken to everlasting contempt and some to everlasting life. That's why Jesus makes the difference. I love what Jeff Vanderstelt says in his book, Saturate. He says, fear is an interesting thing. It's because sometimes we hear fear the Lord and we're like, wait, I'm not supposed to, I fear ghouls and goblins, right? I'm not supposed to fear God. I love the way he puts it here. Fear is an interesting thing. It's, it's not about what is happening. It's about what you believe will happen. It's connected to what we believe about the future. Whatever you love the most or fear the most controls you. If you fear money, money will control you. If you fear other people, other people will control you. God asks for that fear, and then he places his hands on us, just like Joseph did on his brothers, and tells us, fear not. It's a disposition. It's a courage that we have in this life. Y'all know Israel is at war right now with Palestine, or not, or specifically uh, uh, Hamas, right, in Palestine. And I, I love, and I know that there's, there, there are evil atrocities on both sides of that conflict. But what we do see here is that anytime conflict and death surrounds us, it's an opportunity for fear or for courage. I love what David Ben-Gurion, who's the first or the first prime minister of the modern state of Israel, David Ben-Gurion said this, courage is a special kind of knowledge 
the knowledge of how to fear what ought to be feared and how not to fear what ought not to be feared. Y'all need to hear that again because this is the assurance I believe we need today, not about a war. I'm talking about the assurance that we need in Jesus. And here's why we need that assurance, because life is hard. Life will not let up. All days approach death, and you know what? Those days are hard. Those days are evil, but we are called to have courage in the midst of it. Courage is a special kind of knowledge, the knowledge of what to fear, what ought to be feared, and what not to fear, what ought not to be feared. So if we fear the Lord, we can be assured of everything else, right? That all things will work out for the good. That, that even if this life is coming to kill us, we have eternal life. We have security. We as his followers, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit, what Ephesians chapter 1 tells us, seals us until the day of redemption. The Spirit is there, Romans chapter 8, ministering to us and praying for us even when we don't know what to pray or what to do. That God's presence is here in this place. And we should be assured that we can make it through. And we're going to end the book of Genesis with this. Burials are an opportunity for promise. Burials are an opportunity for honor. They're an opportunity, it's an opportunity for assurance. But in looking ahead to which all of Genesis points, because from Genesis to Revelation, it's all true. It's not disconnected. It's all of God's story unraveling for all of mankind. Burials are an opportunity for promise. Let's read in verse 22 through 26. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. This may be a symbolic lifespan. 110 years was seen as the ideal lifespan in both Egypt and probably even among the Israelites because Moses lived 110 years. Joshua lived a similar time frame as well. And what we see here is that Joseph remained in Egypt the plan of their sojournings, Joseph never saw this promise in his life. Jacob nor Joseph ever saw Canaan in their lifetime, right? They never got back. But they had hope. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. Children are a gift from the Lord. And the children of Mechir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. So Joseph adopts, likely adopts, or takes responsibility for Mechir's uh, kids, just like his own father did for his. And Joseph said to the brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you. The word here for visit in the Hebrew literally means a supernatural presence. God will, and y'all know, the next book, I mean, no, not the, yeah, Genesis, yeah, Exodus, the next book, right? You know, sometimes I have to do that. Y'all remember learning in Sunday school, Genesis, Exodus, you know, like, I had to run through that. So, in the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus begins with Israel being hated in Egypt, but there's hope that God will be with them. God shows up in power through the plagues. God's what the pillar of fire leads, it leads Israel out of their captivity. The waters of the Red Sea split open. God will surely visit you. Who needs to hear that today? God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him. They mummified him, and he was put in a coffin 
in Egypt. What's the very last word in the book of Genesis? What's the very last word in the book of Genesis? Egypt. All of this story ends with Israel outside of the land of promise in an evil pagan land in which they were about to not live prosperously in the land of Goshen, but in a land that was about to enslave them to build many of the monuments that we see there today. But even in the midst of all that despair and death and burials and all that coming forward, Egypt is a reminder of what God would do. And we see in the story of Exodus, Exodus 13, verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Furthermore, after the wilderness wanderings, we see in Joshua 24, 32, as for the bones of Joseph, which the Israel brought out of Egypt, they buried him there at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamer, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. And it became an inheritance to the descendants of Joseph. Author of Hebrews says this, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 through 22. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of, his son, each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And also by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave them directions concerning his bones. Jacob said, I may die here, but I will not die without promise. I may die here, but I, I swear to me that you will bring my bones and bury them in the land of promise, to which all of this took place. Jacob died without seeing these things come to pass. But what Jacob did have was a promise, and a promise that was rooted in his own faith with God and the faith that his father displayed for him. We talked about generations last week, about how generations carry on the work of everything that we do. You want to make a change in your life? Make that change now. Because I can guarantee you, you've lived a horrible life. Your kids will not remember all of their horrors. They will remember the sacrifices you make today. It will live with them. This is why the author of Hebrews, and we'll close with this, in Hebrews chapter 11, jumping around a little bit to chapter 12, because I'm not going to torture you all and read two chapters. I'm going to jump around a little bit. But at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, he says this, and I want you all just listen to this as we close. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. We need to hear that again, right? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Kind of like, also in the scriptures, like many are the plans in the heart of a man, right? But God determines the steps. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. 13, they said, these all died, the listing of the, of the men and women here in this hall of faith, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them afar, acknowledged they were strangers and exiles here on earth. They were exiled in Egypt. We need to realize that we are strangers and sojourners in this evil world that we look at and we're like, wait, 
I look at the two parties in our country and both have good and bad. Like as a Christian, I live in this tension of, of I don't know what is right and wrong and what I should do. This is the tension that God calls us to live in as exiles and strangers here on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have the opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country, a better country than what Egypt could give them. That is a heavenly one. You see, they even thought Canaan was the end goal, but Canaan wasn't the goal. Heaven was the goal. The Jerusalem just pointed towards the new Jerusalem, right? Earth just points towards the new earth. The heavens that we stare up at whenever there's something, whenever there's a solar eclipse or some, or that we have to get out of the city so we can actually see it, you know what I mean? The heavens that we stand up are, are just a sign of the new heavens that will be created one day. Then at the beginning of chapter 12, the author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated now at the right hand of the throne of God. Considered him who endured so much from sinners, even death itself, such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. C.J. Mahaney says this, it takes faith to wait tranquilly for something which God has a promise, but has given us no date. Y'all need to hear that again. It takes faith to wait for something that God has promised, but hasn't given us a date for. You can go all the way to 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians like we've been reading in our small group on Wednesdays where Paul writes this letter to encourage them to not lose heart. That God doesn't, you don't know the times or the seasons. Like we don't know when he's coming back, but we have the hope that he is coming back. We have the assurance that he is coming back. Mahaney continues, waiting, waiting is not resignation. Waiting is not giving up. No, waiting is an act of trust in God to provide his fulfillment in his own perfect time. We're coming into a season at Christmas called Advent. Advent simply means arrival. We look back at the first Advent, the first coming of Christ, and we look ahead to the second Advent, the second coming of Christ. Do you all know between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there were 400 years where the prophets didn't speak. 400 years of silence. We talked about last words, Egypt. Last word in the last prophet of Malachi was curse. Literally, the last word in your Old Testament is curse. And Israel lived with that. They lived with that until the word came and lit up the darkness, right? Until the light of Christ came to such a dark world. This is why we're called to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We usually stop there, 
but I love the next two verses. It says, be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will bring, it will be healing to your flesh and get this refreshment to your bones. Maybe you're living in the valley of dry bones today and you're waiting for God's spirit to ignite your very bones. Maybe you're like Joseph. Maybe, maybe you're trusting God with this earthly mortal body and you're believing that even in death, God's will will take place and your bones will be brought to the land of promise. I encourage you today to trust God and to trust his promises. One last quote, Frederick F.W. Faber said this, Frederick William Faber says, the surest method of arriving at the knowledge of God's eternal purposes about us is to be found in the right use of the present time. The surest way to find then arriving at the knowledge of God's eternal purposes for us is to make the best and right use of the present moment. God's will does not come to us in whole, but here's the bad news for us who are impatient, the good news for those who trust in God, but it often comes in fragments. And sometimes those fragments are quite small. Maybe you're living today and you're believing in the promises of your father, Jacob. Maybe you're dying and you're surrounded by a bunch of brothers that you're asking them to carry out plans that, of hope and future and promise. The same brothers that sold you into slavery, you're having to trust that them and their descendants will carry you back to the promised land. That takes faith. Maybe you can relate to Joseph. I would encourage you today as we end this time in this book, Genesis, to be reminded that now is an opportunity. Just as the end of life is an opportunity to look forward to the promises of God, this very present moment is an opportunity for you to be used by God for the good of those who are around you and the glory of he who is and was and is to come. May God bless you. May God use you today. Would you follow him? Would you, as we say here at our church, would you join the family? A family that's diverse, that's made up of <laughs> made up of Leah's and Joseph's and Judah's and all the broken, dumb things that we do in this life that God makes whole for his eternal purposes. Will you be used today by him and for him? Who do you know that needs to hear the good news of Jesus? Who needs to sit in this room next week and hear the gospel of Jesus spoken to them? Who needs to respond? Let's not let today pass before we respond and we invite our, and we say, God, yes, I'll, I'll join your family. As you, you're the father, you're the head. God, I will carry out your wishes as your beloved son and your beloved daughter. May we live in light of those promises today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that at your name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lord, we don't die without hope. We die with hope. And Lord, we know you didn't create this world for death. You created this world for life. Death is even a reminder of the brokenness that we are in. But in you, we're reminded that it's not the end. God, I pray that we would accept your son Jesus as our Lord and Savior. I pray that we would respond through repentance and with baptism. And that we would tell the whole world, we would make disciples as you've commanded us to do. Tell the entire world about how all these circumstances are meant for evil. But God means them all for good. He uses them for the good of others and the glory of his name. So God, help us to look back at Joseph's story and help us to look ahead at the promises that we have in Jesus. Help us to have strength to follow you. Give us your spirit this morning. Fill us and use us as we respond in this moment and as we leave this place. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.